From the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. A New Testament reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 38. Listen for and hear the word of God. When the time came for the persecution, according to the law of Moses, they brought, brought him to the Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a Sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now was a male in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteousness and devote, devote looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit. Rest on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he could not see death before the, he had seen the Lord's Messiah, guided by the spirit of Simeon, came into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to him to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word, for my eyes had seen your salvation, which you've been prepared to the presence of all people, peoples, a light for resolution of Gentiles and the for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed to what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, this child is designed for the falling and rise of many Israel and be signed be will be opposed to what inner thoughts of many will be revealed in the sword of peace your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna and daughter Thaniel of tribe of Asher. She was all, all of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after the marriage. Then, as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple but worshipped there with fast singing and praying night and day. At that moment, she came and be began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second text uh, is from Luke's second volume the second chapter of the book of Acts of the Apostles, verses 42 through 47, page 112 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. Continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. They, that is the first church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. 
All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open this word afresh to us this day so that we would be changed, that we would be different people than those who began this time of worship, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, last week we kicked off a uh, six-week sermon series that we are calling What Now? Being the Church in Liminal Space. What now? Being the church in liminal space. I mentioned last week that this word liminal uh, comes from the Latin, which means border or threshold. And the word liminal or liminality is used across disciplines and in various contexts and sectors to describe um, any space that feels like it's in between. Space that is an in-between time. It's It's the space in between one stage of life and the next stage of life. It's the space uh, in between one ritual or one rite of passage and another ritual or another rite of passage. It's the space between an identity that is receding or fading away, but it is not yet the time for that new identity to be embraced or to come upon us. It's, It's the space between experiences. It's the space between one way of understanding ourselves and another way of understanding ourselves. It's the the space between uh, things that have been uh, really difficult and, and hard, and yet we've not received the hope or the, or, or the gifts that we are still longing for. We are in between time. That's what liminality means. And And this liminal experience and this idea of liminality is the very basis of this sermon series. The the series itself is predicated on the idea that we, not just as individuals, but collectively as a whole, uh, in particular as a whole church, that we are living in liminal times. That we are living in the space between. Following my my sermon last week, I received a, a handful of emails that expressed a resonance with this idea. And it was particular to each person who wrote, people feeling untethered, feeling like they're experiencing discontinuous change, people who have lost a great deal are not sure how they're going to make it through. This liminality uh, is ever-present within our community and within the lives of our church family. One email in particular, and and this person gave me permission to share it today, is, is a woman named Cheryl. Uh, Cheryl and her husband Carlton have been faithful members of this church. Carlton recently died following a two-decade-plus battle with Parkinson's disease. And in reflecting on the sermon, this is what Cheryl wrote. She said, personally, at this time in my life, I am in a liminal space. I used to be Carlton's wife. I used to be his caregiver. But now I'm in between the person that I was and the person that I am becoming. It's time for me to decide what I want to do with the rest of my life or at least the near future. She said that prompted me to look back at something I had written 
something I called my core values, a statement I wrote for myself 12 years ago in 2009. She said, thank you for that nudge. It was a great reminder of who I am and who I want to become. The nudge that she is referring to is the invitation that I offered to all of us last week. It's the invitation that I'm going to offer uh, in each subsequent week of this series, that when we find ourselves living in liminality, when we find ourselves in the space between, when we find ourselves experiencing liminal space, one thing that we can do, I think one of the best things that we can do, is turn back to that which anchors us, to turn back to the commitments to the priorities, to the identity that helps us navigate liminal space, that helps us navigate this space between. I think that's exactly what what Cheryl did here. I think she is a model for us in what we're trying to accomplish here in this series is that when we feel in between the times that we go back, we go back to those things that anchor us, to those values that shape us, and that's the big idea of this, of this series for our church, not just for us as individuals, but collectively as a church. I think we as a church are living in liminal time. I think we're living in in-between spaces. And so what I'm hoping to do is that we take a cue from Cheryl and, and we turn back to that which grounds us. We turn back to that which holds us at center, that shapes our identity and habits as, as people who we say are humbly seeking to follow Jesus Christ in and for the world. So in this series, what, we've, what we're doing is just taking a, about half of our values, values that we think are pertinent for living in this liminal time, and we're just going to drill down on them. Last week, we talked about the value we have here in the church, the value of spiritual home, and this idea that we want to create and cultivate a community where people really feel like they're welcome and that they can belong for a lifetime of faith. We talked about that value last week. Today, for this sermon, we're going to talk about the value of enduring commitment. It naturally flows from the value of spiritual home. But this idea, when we talk about enduring commitment here at First Presbyterian Church, what we're talking about is a way in which we order our lives around worship, around learning, and around service. That we get back to the basics. I talked a little bit about this last week. That when we're in liminal time, we go back to the ordinary. go back to the basics. We go back to the very core of what makes us who we are. And in this case, what makes us who we are as a church. Worship, education, service. We lean into these commitments. We lean into these habits. Since the days when the, when the first church came to be through the power of the Spirit, as, as the Spirit emboldened and, 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 and raised up this ragtag and resurrection-believing uh, followers of Jesus Christ in the first century in the city of Jerusalem, from that moment when the first church was born to this moment in the 21st century when we know that churches litter the face of the globe, we can observe continuity between that church and every church that has come since that there is a commitment within these communities of faith, within these Christian communities, within these churches. There is a commitment to center our life together around Jesus Christ. 
that, that you could have, as one missiologist said, you could have a, an alien a space traveler come to the first century in Jerusalem. They could come to the 11th century in Ireland. They could come uh, to the 18th century in England. They could come to the 20th century in Malawi. They could come to the 21st century in Atlanta at the corner of 16th and Peachtree. And while there would be multifaceted ways of expressing the centrality of Christ, and while there'd be a, a multiplicity of ways of worship and learning and education and service, what we'll find is continuity, continuity that has integrity around who Jesus is and what we're called to do as the people of God, this basic and ordinary work that we're called to do. That work, I think, is laid out clearly in Acts chapter 2. I said in the last two sermons, you know, folks like Rob and me, we went to seminary and we read volumes upon volumes of ecclesiology. What is the true nature of the church? What is the church all about? And really, I think the most essential piece of Scripture when it talks about the church, I think it's right here before us in Acts chapter 2. In fact, we were planning the worship service and and, and they were, we were looking at it as a worship team with, uh, with the, the bulletin and, and the words were printed. And someone said, is that all there is? These just like five, six verses, is that it? I said, yeah, that, that's actually all that it is. And it works, right, for the sermon. Because this is what we need to know about the continuity of the church from the first century to the 21st century and these ordinary habits and practices that we lean into. Luke describes them, right? It's a church. It's a, it's a family of faith. It's devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles. It's a community of faith that's devoted itself to the fellowship of the saints, to the sacraments, to the prayers. They were together. Make no mistake. They leaned into each other in these days. They were committed not just to God, but they were committed to this community. They were bonded as one. They demonstrated a kind of unity and plurality as they continued to meet, as they continued to practice faith and life together. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is the value that we want to lean into as the First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta. There is an enduring commitment that we're striving for. An enduring commitment, a commitment that lasts in good times and in bad times, when we're on the mountaintop or when we're in the valley, a, a commitment that roots us and grounds us in our identity and what we're called to do on the face of this planet, who we're called to be as we walk the earth. That's what we receive when we lean into this community. We, we receive this invitation to embrace an enduring commitment. When I think about what it looks like to order our life together around Jesus, around worship, around, around education, around service, when I think about these ordinary habits that are exemplified in, in Acts 2, I, I also want to think about examples that we can reflect on and, and have a sense that have come before us who do such a thing. And this week I was drawn uh, to the characters of Simeon and Anna. Rhodes read the text for us. It's a text that we typically hear uh, the week after Christmas, but this time we're meeting Simeon and Anna still in these hot days of August. Luke tells us that Simeon first, he's the first character we meet, that he tells us that Simeon was a righteous man, that he was a devout man of God, and that he was waiting, and this is important to understand the text, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And what that meant was is that he was waiting for God to intervene, that he was waiting for God to show up, that he was waiting for God to send the Messiah, the Christ, to put the world to rights. 
And, and what Luke tells us briefly is that through some sort of prophecy or some sort of vision, Simeon was guaranteed that he would not meet his death until he saw God's salvation with his own eyes. We don't know how it happened, but that was the promise that was given to him. And so what we see in Simeon is a man in liminal space, right? He's, he's the space in between. He's been, been given the promise, the, the prophecy that he won't die before he sees the salvation of God. And yet he hasn't seen it. He hasn't died yet. He's waiting for it. And what does he do in the liminal space? What does he do in the space between as he hopes for the fulfillment of this promise? He worships. Did you catch that? Every day he he worships. He, he goes toward the people of God in the temple. He gathers with them because he believes that is the very place where God will deliver God's message of salvation to him. Now, that's not to say that there aren't scriptures that talk about us communing with God in, in nature or outside the community of faith. But time and time and time again... What we see in the scriptures is people moving toward the community, making a commitment in the habits and practices of the faith, and believing that that is the very space that they will receive consolation. Believing that that is the very platform from which God will speak, and God will reveal God's self. So he leans in, and as he leans into the community, as he leans into the commitment Mary and Joseph bring in the Christ child, the promised one, and Simeon sees him with his own eyes, and he holds him and says, Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation. It's not up on a mountain. It's not at a beach. It's in worship. It's when the church gathers, when the people of God gather. That's where God delivered the consolation. The same is true for Anna. We meet her on the heels of being introduced to Simeon. She, we're told, is a widow of, of some eight decades. She's sort of in a liminal space. She's outlived most people during that time in the world, right? Like she is maybe perhaps, you know, not too long for this world. She's in liminal space and she's longing, the word's different than consolation, she's longing for the redemption of Israel. She's longing for the redemption of of Israel. And what does she do? Luke tells us that day by day that she went to the temple courts, that she went to worship, that she went to the people of God, believing that that word would be delivered in that space. And that's exactly what God does. God, God shows up there in this Christ child, and she too, like Simeon, sees the redemption with her own eyes. I think this is a wonderful witness for us from the scriptures. Because if you're like me, you have a sense that, that we are living in liminal times, that we are living in the space between. And when we experience this liminality, when we experience this uncertainty, when we experience this discontinuous change, when we're looking, right? So many of us are looking for consolation. We're looking for redemption. We're longing for it in real and concrete ways. What the witness of the scripture tells us is that when we move toward the commitment, the commitment that we've made to one another and the commitment that God has made to us, when we move toward that commitment, that that can be the very place that God reveals God's self to us. It can be in the ordinary, in the habitual practices of of worship, of education, of, of service, that that's where God shows up when they lean in. 
when they lean in, that's where they see the redemption. That's where they receive their consolation. You know, for some of us, when we hit these harder moments in our road, the the speed bumps, the liminal space, for some of us, we're tempted to, to lean out from the community. I realize I'm preaching to the choir here. You're all here. You're tuning in. But there are seasons, right, where, where we start to lean out. We start to lean away. And I would invite you to consider that, that it's precisely in the liminal times that we need to lean in. Lean into the community. Lean into these core commitments and this enduring commitment. Because it's in those spaces that we, I think, be- begin to get a glimpse of what God wants us to see. Just like it was for Simeon and Anna. The consolation and the redemption that we long for as we lean into one another and lean into the practices of our faith. Back in seminary, um, Katie and I helped out in the ministry of her dad's church. Her dad was a senior pastor of a church outside of Philly. Um, And specifically during this time when we were in our final years of seminary, uh, they were in between youth pastors, so we volunteered to help out in the church And during that time, we got to know a lot of kids, and in particular, uh, one kid we remember quite fondly. His name is Evan. He was the youngest of four children in a family that was deeply faithful to the church, deeply faithful to God. They they were the kind of family that that leaned into that commitment. We got to know Evan on on retreats. I got to spend a lot of time with him talking about faith and about, about doubt. He was a smart and, and funny kid. He was gregarious. He kind of had a little bit of a Chris Farley streak in him, if you know what I mean. If you remember that comedian, he kind of looked like him and kind of played the part. He, he never met a stranger. Everyone was his friend. One night, about halfway through our time serving as interns for that youth ministry, we got a call from Katie's dad. It was late in the night that Evan had been killed tragically in a car wreck. His biological family, of course, was, was deeply grieving. His church family was devastated. And the larger town who, who knew him in many ways uh, was just beside itself. As I said, Evan, Evan was killed on a, on a Saturday night into a Sunday morning. And my father-in-law, who is a brilliant pastor, drove over about 1, 2 in the morning to Evan's parents' home just to be with them, to pray, and to bring whatever measure of, of comfort and care he could bring. The next day, Katie and I got in our cars. We were in Princeton. We drove the 30 minutes down to, to the southern part of Jersey. And, and we went into the sanctuary. And to our absolute amazement, they are sitting in the pew that they would normally sit in were Evan's parents. Just hours after their son had been killed. My father-in-law, who would later tell us that he was shocked to see them. He never thought he would see them there. When he came out to the chancel, he walked down and he walked toward them, and they all embraced, and and tears were flowing from all of their eyes. They held each other. And that's when Evan's dad said, we had to be here. We had to be here. And he kept repeating over and over and over again, we had to be here this morning. And that image of that couple worshiping on that day in the shadow of unspeakable sorrow is something I'll never forget. I I can see them, what they're wearing, how they stood, how they prayed, how they sung, how they received comfort from the community, and how they leaned into this enduring commitment, believing that this was the place that 
if it was going to be anywhere, this was the place where consolation and redemption could come. Like Simeon and Anna who were longing for such thing, these parents were longing for that too. And, and they knew that that was the place that God could show up because they had heard God before. They had seen God before in, in their church family, in the worship, in the learning, and in the service. They leaned in and they moved toward the community. And I, and I think in liminal times and in liminal spaces, no matter the degree, leaning in, leaning in, leaning into the community, leaning into the commitment is where our ears begin to be cleared, our vision becomes more lucid, and we can hear and see the very consolation, the very redemption God is calling us to receive. One final thought here. Katie and I uh, were talking last night. I was so glad that she initiated a conversation. I was kind of reviewing what I was planning on preaching today with her, and and she began talking about just how poignant this notion of liminality is for so many that we know, even for ourselves. Uh, you can tell that this was a you know, 5.30 a.m. addition to the sermon because we just talked about it the night before. But we have members and friends in this congregation who have fresh diagnoses of cancer. We have had the hard news for some that have now moved to hospice because their treatments aren't working anymore. This is acute to us and to some others that, that we're experiencing for the first time what it looks like when you send your kid off to college. Uh, the earthquake in Haiti, the, the turmoil in Afghanistan, water crises and wildfires out in the West, the increasing violence and crime on the streets of this city that we so love the increase of crime and violence around the nation, the Delta variant, oh, by the way, still running afoul. Political divisions that seem to only be increasing. And, and, and we talked last night, and, and the one thing we resolved on and we found our hope in is that when Christians throughout the past two uh, millennium, when Christians found themselves in spaces like these, what did they do? They sought consolation and redemption by leaning in. They saw consolation and redemption by turning toward the community and turning toward the commitment that they had made, the commitment to make Jesus the center of their lives, to worship, to learn, and to serve. And so in times like these, I'm speaking very personally now, when I desperately long for consolation and when I desperately long for redemption, I don't know what else to do than to lean in. I don't know what else to do than to lean into those commitments that we have made and the commitment that God has made to us. And friends, I don't know any other people that I'd want to walk this road with. That I would only want to walk it with this church. And walk we do. Walk we do. Deeper and deeper into this enduring commitment. May we continue to walk on for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the world. Amen.